All right, all you sex and science hour sweaties. Now, we got a little something different here. And if you can tell, at least this part of the episode is going to sound a little strange. And that's because I'm on my handy-dandy Zoom H1 microphone. So, Stephanie and I, this week, had kind of a family emergency. And so, we're on location. And we actually, what we're going to do for you here, if you listen to, if if you're a Patreon subscriber, not to Sex and Science Hour, but to Sovereign Tech, you probably already know all this because I talked about it there. And don't worry, if you're a listener to Sovereign Tech, there will be a new Sovereign Tech. But I just want you to know that with Sex and Science Hour, uh, we just we didn't get the opportunity to really to, to knock it out this week. So because of that, I'm going to play for you. And you may not have heard this. I was tempted. I was like, oh, you know what, Stallion? Let, let's, let's do a clip show. You know, come on, Brian, we can do a clip show. And I didn't have the opportunity to throw together a clip show. I thought that would have been a lot of fun. But what you're going to get, you're going to get a 2014 classic episode here. So if you haven't, and, and this is this is really a doozy, a lot of great work in it. If you, I know we have a lot of new listeners to Sex and Science Hour. And if you never checked out the past episodes, which I can, I can tell, I know some of you haven't. Um, you get to hear Stephanie and I, so you don't have to listen to me this whole time. I was half tempted to do a solo show, but uh, you're not really here to, you know, to hear me. You're you're here to hear Stephanie. At least, you know, that's that's why I get up in the morning. I don't know about you, uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but anyway. This is a classic episode. We want to get something out there for you. Uh, and it, it's from 2014. It's one of the best. It was an episode called Free Willy. So if you've never heard this before, check it out. If you haven't heard it, if you had heard it, you probably haven't heard it in a while. But there's a lot of really gold, timeless nuggets in this one. We, we, I went through and I was like, all right, what's the best one to get? And I think this is, uh, this is one of the best. And it sort of gives you that season one flavor, just in case you forgot what that tasted like, baby. You want to get a good taste. So anyway, all you sex and science our sweaties got you covered this week don't worry we'll be back with a totally new episode next week and from then on going forward you know we'll, we'll keep rocking through season two anyway that's it enough of me you don't have to listen to me anymore let's bring on the episode you can hear the lovely and hyper intelligent dr stephanie murphy and i do our thing and hear it in classic fashion so enjoy that and uh and anyway we'll see you we'll see you next week <laughs> This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hey, Brian, is your freak on yet? Oh, it's always on. Mine's definitely on. When does it turn off? That's a good question. I guess never. (laughs) No, you know, like every late March, April, boy, does it get worse. Yeah, you have like a yearly cycle. It's true. I get in heat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, if you're in heat, then this is the perfect show for you to listen to. That's right. <laughs> we are on episode 16 of Sex and Science Hour. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, we are late with the show again, but at this point, it's not even a gimmick anymore. Like, it's just, it's not as if we're lazy or anything. Like, I can't even begin to explain how hard we both work this week. It's just oh, that yeah. we just didn't have time to do a show until now. But hopefully, you're getting a, a quality show as we are uh, sitting here on Saturday night for you recording the show. We could have gone out to the bars. No, that's not something no. we do. 
<laughs> we could have gone out and had a nice dinner on the town, get, gone to a jazz concert or something, done something incredibly classy with our Saturday night. But we're we're staying home recording a podcast for you. Actually, this is probably what I'd rather be doing than that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At least sometimes, you know, because it's it's fun to record a show with you, Brian. And we always have interesting stuff to talk about. And with that, you know, I, I don't feel so bad when I hear stories like this, because sometimes I think, you know, we talk about all these stories of government tyranny here on the show, and mostly they're focused around the U.S. because that's where we live. So right. we talk about what we know. But of course, our listeners are located all around the world, and the U.S. is not the center of the universe, despite what a lot of people would like to think. And um, something kind of tyrannical happened in Belgium this week. Did you hear about this? No. Well, apparently, there was some kind of um, investment that a bunch of people made in Belgium several years ago. There was some kind of bond or, you know investment fund that people bought because at the time when they bought it, the this type of fund was tax-free. But suddenly the government decided to change the rules about that and introduced a new tax on those type of funds. And it was retroactive back to July 2008. Oh boy. And this was introduced, I guess, I don't know, last summer, but it went back to all the way to 2008. So this is like five, it went back five years okay. from the time that it was, um, that the tax appeared suddenly. And they actually made, like they actually went into people's bank accounts and automatically yanked out the funds that corresponded to the taxes that they now claim that these people owed. Wow, this sounds like history repeating itself. This occurred in... Um uh, what's which country was it that this occurred in? Cyprus. Cyprus. Yeah, that was a little bit different, as I understand. They just kind of took ten percent off everybody's savings account. Um, but they were like yanking from banks, whether you liked it or not. Yes, absolutely, yeah. that's true. I mean, and when somebody else hel- holds on to your money, I guess you can't be super surprised about that. Sure. But you know, I mean, I think a lot of people grow up with the idea that you can trust a bank. They're like they're there to hold on to your money. They're not there to give other people access to your money. It's it's supposed to be your money, right? And it's supposed to be <laughs> it's, right. So it's supposed to be. But now, increasingly, we're finding out that that is just so blatantly um, not true. <laughs> yeah. And it's really sad for those people that just woke up one day and then poof, suddenly part of their savings account is gone or checking account. I don't know what kind of accounts they collected this from, but I mean, that's that's really that's really unfair. Like, you know, people got lured into this investment, whatever it was. I'm mm-hmm. not completely familiar with the details. Maybe if we have some Belgian listeners, if this happened to you, you know, send us an email show at sexandsciencehour.com and let us let us know about it. I'd like to hear your perspective. But Basically, these people were lured into making this type of investment because they thought, oh, that makes sense. You can put your money in this fund and it's tax free. It sounds kind of like an IRA, maybe, um, which is a type of investment that, you know, Americans have there where you can basically put money into an account and it's it's tax uh, like you don't have to pay taxes on it, but you can't touch it till you're 65. Well, I mean, this definitely makes a great case for one thing. And of course, that's cryptocurrencies. I mean, that that Absolutely. way, this you know, you couldn't just take those, you know, or at least as long as it wasn't in some kind of, you know, it's tough because there are companies coming out now, particularly in the U.S., you know, that that are playing games or are playing ball, I should say, not games. They're playing ball with the regulators. 
Oh, you're talking about triangle. Oh, no, no, no. Um, no. Trapezoid. Oh, trapezoid. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, uh, uh, it's rectangle. One of those, it's one of those shapes. I can't remember which one. <laughs> Circle. But, uh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I'm just but, uh, silly. But yeah, yeah I, of course. I think you're right, Brian, and I can see where you're going with that. C- cryptocurrency is the logical kind of solution. If you actually have ultimate control over your private keys, right. meaning you have control over your funds, then no one can just go in and take it. Right. But uh, if you're talking about companies that aim to, quote, bring Bitcoin mainstream or bring bring you know bring cryptocurrencies to the rest of the world that aren't geeks or don't really understand it mm-hmm. but the thing they neglect to tell you is that those companies such as circle are going to have control over your private keys so you you don't really have that level of control over your money that absolute level of control over your money right that you uh get by just going by holding bitcoins yourself it's basically just like a bank because somebody else if they have access to your account could take your money out yeah and this is the potential of bitcoin companies wanting or bitcoin you know in the in the abstract working with regulation is that this kind of thing can happen or like an operation choke point like we've talked about in past episodes or cyprus yeah. or wherever all this stuff suddenly can happen you know yeah, people- because if it's if it's a law then suddenly oh well to be compliant with the law we have to just you know hand over 10 percent of everyone's bitcoins that are stored in our bank so here you go government right as long as it's yeah. a law then they have no problem with it yeah and they'll they'll just take it i mean and and this and it actually it also proves just how fake Okay, if because a lot of people still want to make that claim that Bitcoin isn't real. Well, how is this money was just ones and zeros that got taken out of Belgian banks. Okay, and, and it just shows it's all the, it's all the same thing. You know, Bitcoin just allows you to control it yourself if you're willing to take on that responsibility. Uh, what are you talking about, Brian? Are you, are you referencing like fractional reserve banking? Where- yeah, well, I'm talking what happened in, in Belgium. Is that uh-huh. th- this? These ones and zeros just got taken. They didn't have to raid the houses and take their money. You know oh, what I mean? The ones okay, and zeros just got taken away. Look, all the money in the world is digital, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, there's gold, wah wah wah. You know, but really, Paper. yeah. <laughs> but come on, it, by and large, all you know how the world works is on digital currency already. So you can either choose the digital currency that gives you control or the digital currency that's under someone else's control. Or I suppose you can do what a lot of people are doing, and that's clamor for the digital currency that you control, like Bitcoin, to come under control of the, you know, the banks and the governments of the world. Mm. And that's really what you're asking for. You know, I mean, people, people forget security. The word security is absolutely synonymous with the initiation of irrationality. Okay. And so when you're saying, well, I want my Bitcoin to be protected, you know, and all this stuff, believe me, the only person that can protect it is you, you know, you, you hand over those keys, literal keys and, you know, metaphorical keys to anyone else. Might as well kiss your money. Goodbye. Yeah. You know, it makes me think about there's a lot of talk recently in the Bitcoin world about multi-signature transactions, which is something that's been bit built into the Bitcoin protocol for a long time. Yeah. The ability to basically have a, a type of transaction where in order to send Bitcoin, you have to have multiple people sign off on it and you have to have at least, for instance, two out of three of the people that could sign it to sign it before it it leaves the um, it leaves the sender and goes to the recipient. Right. Uh or, you know, it could be three out of five, it could be five out of seven, it could be any number of any number. But that's, right. that's the idea of multi-signature transactions. And people say it'll be great for um, preventing theft, which I agree with, right? Because if, yeah. if you only have one private, one person needed to sol- send a private, or sorry, to sign a transaction, and 
somebody signs it fraudulently via hacking or they get a hold of your keys or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, then there's nothing you can do. Those coins are gone. So if you had a multi-signature system, there would have to be basically a conspiracy you know, right. of some kind in order to fraudulently send Bitcoins out of that wallet that you don't want them moved from. But but then again, like if you are, a, let, let's say, a, just a customer or a consumer and you are storing your Bitcoins in circle and they say, oh, well, we've got them um, protected by a multi-signature uh, type of sh- transaction structure. So not only do you have to sign the transaction if we're going to send Bitcoins out of your account, but also we have to sign it. Is, would it be the case then, perhaps, that they could move the funds without your permission? You know, sure. If there's two people from Circle that want to send your Bitcoins to the government and you don't want to, and you don't sign that transaction, is it like too bad? It's two out of three. And we say it's it's basically democracy. You know, it's two wolves. Yeah. <laughs> democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. That's right. like the famous <laughs> saying. And I yeah. love that saying. But multi-signature transactions could be two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner, too. You know? Yeah, it's something to consider. In some situations. Right. It's it's something to consider. I mean, multi-sig doesn't have to necessarily be other people. It could be, has to be this IP address. It has to be this location. Mm-hmm. It has to be this time or things like that. There's a lot of different ways multi it can get implemented but i think you raise a great point is that people need to ask the question hey really how much does this serve me and what are the chances of it not serving me it's of course is going to be different in different situations you know like yeah. I'm, I'm sure there are some cases where multi-sig technology is going to protect people and right. is going to make their bitcoins more secure but yep. there are probably some use cases for it that would have the opposite effect and i think we should just think about it instead of saying that multi-sig is a panacea for everything it's, yeah it may not be <laughs> it may introduce some new problems yeah like i mean multi-sig is a great idea if you know you have multi-sig was set up not for multiple people but for you personally with multiple computers Okay. Yeah. Like the laptop locked away somewhere, you know, is going to have to get access. And then the laptop in my basement has to get access. And then the laptop here and there has to get access. That works. But trusting with other people. Yeah. I think you raise a a really interesting point that people may not be considering. Mm, Indeed. Well, speaking of uh, raising some interesting points. Wow. Did you read the Willie report, Brian? Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, we both. We, actually, I'm, I I shouldn't be asking you that because, or I'm just asking you for dramatic effect because yeah. we read it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, you you came right up to me and said, "You've got to look see at this, this giant Willie. You've got to see this." Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I said to you. <laughs> no, I mean it. It's got a funny name, but it's it's really like a very serious subject. And yeah. of course, the Willie report is. Uh, what would you call it? A blog post uh, that's made by, I don't even know who it's made by, but maybe no, they... I think it's by and large meant to be anonymous. It is, yeah. I would call it a, it's, I mean, a blog post would be an overarching term for it, but it was really one of the finest. A white paper? No, no not a white paper. I would say it is one of the, yeah, right. The... <laughs> <laughs> well, you always talk about the blurred lines between blog posts and white papers. Yeah, most so white papers should good. just be blog posts, um, <laughs> but it's really one of the best cases of digital forensics i've ever seen yeah it's pretty impressive Uh, and this this person whoever the author is took uh, publicly available data that was basically leaked logs of the transactions and users on mount gox which at one time was the reigning the the champion of the bitcoin exchanges the biggest bitcoin exchange out there. yeah it was the center of the world for bitcoin and pretty much the first bitcoin exchange out there uh right it, it's, uh, it may not have been the first, but I, I actually know, you know, what? I think it was. Yeah, I want to say it was the first. I can't think of one that existed before it. Um, although, you know, there were certainly other Bitcoin exchanges at the time when Mt. Gox was by and large, you know, 
sorry, far and away, by and large, far and away the biggest one, you know, when it had the most customers, there were other Bitcoin exchanges that had maybe five, 10 percent of the volume and Mt. Gox had 80 percent, something like that. Right. Uh, But anyway, of course, you know, Mt. Gox was a huge Bitcoin exchange. It had this famous downfall, uh, you know, quite recently where they claimed that they lost all these Bitcoins, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoins. And um, people are still trying to figure out what exactly happened there. And uh, one of the ways that they've attempted to figure that out is from these public logs that have been leaked on the Internet. And so the author of this, the Willie Report, basically went through Mt. Gox's leaked logs and found some interesting patterns. There were basically, and this is a very complicated report, we'll link to it in the uh, show notes. It did get taken down at one point. Somebody probably... I don't know, maybe threatened them or reported. It It, it was a WordPress site. The WordPress site, when you went to it a couple days later, Mm -hmm. pretty much said. And in fact, I I had said the the day we read it, I think it was a Sunday, maybe it was last Sunday. I said, it's like, I need to make a pocket account because I need to save this. This is going to disappear. And sure enough, it did. (laughs) And it did. Two days later, the WordPress site said it broke terms of service or whatever, whatever the hell that means. I can't imagine how that broke terms of service. Yeah, that sounds like somebody who wanted it off the internet, um, yeah. you know, reporting them for nebulous terms of service violations. Yeah. But, but too late, people made PDF files of it. Yeah, once it's out there, it's out there, just like, you know, uh, yeah. just like Bitcoin, basically. <laughs> you can't put Pandora's box back in the box. But anyway, um, it is back up at the time when we're recording this, so we will link to it in the show notes if you want to read it. But just to give a very basic summary of what it says, basically the author said that... Um, they saw two bots that were trading on Mt. Gox and had a lot of trading activity that was very unusual. And there, it was unusual because one of the bots was able to trade even when Mt. Gox was supposedly down when no one else was able to trade. And uh, it was buying, you know, te- like 10 and 20, 10 to 20 Bitcoins every five minutes or so. Right. Um, and it had this weird... Uh, pattern in in what it was doing and then there was another bot that was not paying any transaction fees and it was just and actually it wasn't paying like the market price for bitcoins so there was this very strange activity that was going on with these uh, two bots and there were you know some other similarities between them but basically This person is alleging that, you know, there were thousands, millions of dollars of fake liquidity uh, U.S. dollar or fiat liquidity that was being pumped into Mt. Gox via these bots, right? And that raised the price of Bitcoin artificially was responsible for the two previous last April and last November um, price spikes, where the price went up hugely of Bitcoin, and that that it was all fake because there were the the liquidity, the fiat liquidity, never actually existed to support those prices, but because those prices occurred on Mt. Gox, it kind of raised all the other exchanges, and then it created this psychological phenomenon, and people were buying Bitcoins, And but it was never really real. Yeah, and this is interesting because I have mentioned many times that because, you know, that first one in April 2013, that went from, what, 15 bucks, 20 bucks to 260 Yeah. Inside of a month? Mm-hmm. Now, look. Nothing does that. Nothing works that way. Yeah, and I have to give you credit because you did say that all along. I mean, it, it, just like it also what happened in November, where suddenly it shot up to what? It went back down to under a hundred, I think, after April. Right? It did a big crash. 
and then yeah right down to 60 or then something suddenly like that. it shoots up to 1200 mm-hmm. and and this is mind-boggling because people just kept saying oh no you know bitcoin just breaks the rules no the rules you know what i mean that like they're laws of economics they don't get broken that way mm-hmm. there's an amount there's the way things essentially work and we don't really have the time to go into a lot of this okay but you know something that's really annoying me about this is that there's people insulting this uh, some some professor some college professor who made the claim that a month from now from today bitcoin would be worth ten dollars oh professor bitcoin yeah bitcoin right <laughs> right yeah okay i think that if bitcoin wasn't you know wasn't f***ed with quite frankly mm-hmm. as it was at gox multiple times he'd be right on or he'd be pretty close really you think yeah. so yeah why not well, I'm open to that possibility, but like to make the opposite case, you could look at the volume of transactions on the Bitcoin network and compare them to Western Union, PayPal, that kind of thing. And I, that would seem to support a price that's over $10, okay, definitely. Right. But what's the motive? Over $100. R- right. But what's the motive for doing what this these Gox bots did? The motive is to generate interest and in, in, in real liquidity. Well, we don't know what the motive was. I mean, we because uh, we don't know who put them there. Like, th- this is all very interesting, but it's all allegations and it's not proven. And we don't know who actually did it. I mean, there is a section in here that alleges perhaps it was an inside job. And they oh, I'd venture it's that detail about that. Yeah, I mean, and it is it does look awfully suspicious. I will say that. But we don't really know the reason why someone did this. Like, it's possible that one of these bots was kind of like a basically front-running trades, you know, getting people's special deals on Bitcoins that were connected to the people inside Mt. Gox. Still, you know, shady practice, not mm-hmm. not cool to do that. And then the other one was perhaps a, a hacker that copied the code and was using it to basically create fake U.S. dollars and then buy Bitcoins and then sell the Bitcoins for real U.S. dollars. And the people at Gox didn't notice it at all. That's, well, that's, that's the, the unbelievable. Part. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's very hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'll be the first to say that that in the Bitcoin space in general, there's some pretty rough coders There's some great coders, too but they're usually not involved with uh, any of the companies that are known very well. And, the, you know, these terrible coders, even they should have seen that this was going on. You know, <laughs> I mean, that, that there's just there's no I don't I don't see that as, as myself. I don't see it as viable. I think it's all very, very strange. This kind of stuff happens in dark liquidity pools all the time. OK, there, there's really nasty names for it. And I just I have the feeling that that crazy stuff happened here i love bitcoin though do you think we need bitcoin regulation to prevent this because i don't think i don't think it prevents it in the regular no 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean what we really need is uh due diligence perhaps maybe some community auditing or standards or whatever but definitely not government no regulation would not solve this because wall street's regulated and this crap happens there absolutely all right there's more coming up here on sex and science hour coming up uh do spouses are they more like siblings than spouses (laughs) okay guys and gals listen up we're about to talk no no don't laugh this is a very serious fecal matter Here on Sex and Science Hour, we talk a lot about health and the human body. But did you know that our bodies are designed to squat when we poop? That's right. This whole sitting on the toilet thing, that's a bunch of crap. And it may contribute to all kinds of unpleasant stuff like hemorrhoids, constipation, and diverticulitis. Ew. So, we'd like to tell you about a very simple device that will help you solve this problem and get you back to doing your business the way Mother Nature intended it. 
It's called the Squatty Potty, and it works by gently helping you raise your feet when you use the toilet. This is a product that Brian and I both use, and it's made us into believers. And although the folks at Squatty Potty in no way endorse this show, we do have an affiliate link that you can use to get one, which will also help us out. Just check our show notes for the link and get ready to say goodbye to your bathroom problems for good. Now back to Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. By the way, I'm Stephanie, and you're Brian. Of course. You know, we always forget to introduce ourselves in the first segment of the show. That's a little radio boo-boo, but I think we're all right. Most people probably know us. They've probably heard it week after week, but then there's always the few new people who just tune in to a show for the first time. They have no idea what to expect. They're probably listening to this, and they're saying, who are these anarchists? Who are these people? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, if you are one of those people, then... uh, Keep listening, you know, and if you have any questions, you're welcome to email us, show at sexandsciencehour.com. We will do our best to answer your questions, because we do have listener emails coming up in the last segment of today's show. But right now, I think we're going to go with some science stories, because I've, I've got a couple of interesting science stories that I've been wanting to talk about on the show. You ready, Brian? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Okay, so I teased this at the end of the last segment. Um, spouses have similar DNA. Now, this is weird, because <laughs> uh, you're always told that, like, Humans can somehow pick up on or sense or smell or detect genetic diversity. And they want to mate with somebody on a primal level, like we're attracted to people whose pheromones are telling us that we they have different um, immune systems that will complement ours so that our children will have these strong, healthy immune systems and be able to fight off pathogens. Yeah, and that's, what's this called? MD? Oh, M- yeah, it's it's MHC. the MHC um, yeah. uh, genes. That's so it. The MHC is major histocompatibility complex. Ha, ah, that's pretty good. No notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a type of basically gene that are involved in the immune system that convey innate immunity to um, certain pathogens and bugs and bacteria and viruses that you might encounter if you were a human living in a world with no antibiotics and no soap and that kind of thing. Uh, although perhaps now now there's a lot of people, this is a side tangent, but now there's a lot of people saying that soap could be the problem. That <laughs> <laughs> basically uh, we, are, we were at one time covered by these good beneficial probiotic bacteria that would keep out the bad bacteria, uh, but now we wash them all away with soap and we're more vulnerable to the bad ones. But to be clear, that good bacteria would actually have killed the you know bad sense so it's not like people smelled bad yeah exactly like it it may have been a myth that people were walking around in paleolithic times smelling horrible right that was just in medieval times when they started eating grains and this is this is totally a topic for another (laughs) show so i'm going to save it but this article that i've got right here is saying that actually um it it may actually be true that spouses tend to have uh dna that is more similar to one another than to a different random person. Now, so what are the implications of that? I, I yeah, I, I I don't know. The these researchers analyzed uh, 825 couples, so that's a pretty big uh, sample size, and they compared um, pieces, you know, little fingerprints and signatures of their DNA. And the people that were married were actually more likely to be similar to one another than the people uh, that were randomly paired up. So this is why Cain slept with Awan. I don't get it. Sorry, uh, that's Cain and Abel the, from Genesis. What's Awan? Uh, Awan is the pseudepigraphal name of his sister that he had kids with in the land of Node. 
Orlando. Oh, Nod. yeah. You always wonder how that worked. In yeah, the Bible there's only there's... like four people that we know of. How exactly did the rest of the people come to be? Now, of course, right. later, and I don't want to get into this big thing. I, I'm aware later in the book of Genesis, <laughs> they said they have other kids and all this stuff. Josephus said they had something like 27 uh, sons and 30 daughters or some kind of crazy thing. But all the same, Josephus is still saying that uh, those people were populated by inbreeding. Hmm, something to ponder uh, for you. Yeah, Bible there's a whole bunch of theories. There. A whole bunch of people will say the first seven chapters of, uh, or the first 11 chapters maybe of uh, of Genesis aren't true. I know that. You don't have to e- email me. So, okay, back to this article here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they said that this this whole thing about like people seeking out partners that have similar genetics to them is based on, basically based on people marry people who are like them. Okay. So perhaps that has something to do with racial or ethnic background. Perhaps it has something to do with education or, you know, whatever kind of station in life you're at. Um, but it's it's definitely um, the choice of partners that people have are better matches for their own DNA than just randomly chosen, which is kind of interesting. And it kind of contradicts the whole thing about we, we want to mate with somebody who's genetically different than us to get their genes for the kids that'll make make a better immune system. You know? Yeah, I, I got to admit, I, I have a compulsion to people that aren't so genetically different. I don't have a compulsion for my own siblings, but I mean, I, I do feel, but I don't know that that's anything genetic. I think that may be more uh, nurture. Yeah, well, you know, I mean... So one in 12 marriages back in 2012, um, there was a study that came out that said one in 12 marriages were people of different ethnicities. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty, you know, a pretty high percentage of people who are just marrying someone with probably a pretty relatively different genetic background than them. You know, and this is actually kind of scary that this kind of science would probably get used by a lot of people who don't believe in mixing the races, you Mm know, like white people can't go out with black people and all this nonsense. Well, yeah, I mean, the study didn't say anything about like what should be. It just said this is what happens. Right. But people would use this to say, see, God made it that or whoever evolution made it that way that white people should only be with white people. And that is such crap. Yeah, it it is. It's crap. (laughs) I mean, have you like have you encountered this like people that only want to date within their race, quote unquote? Yeah. Yeah. People who only want to date like I don't know. Some people have a preference to date a certain race, but it is not the race that they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this this happens a lot. And, and there's a lot of reasons that people toss it off, you know, like uh, psychological reasons, like saying that, well, the person's exotic, you know, uh, I mean. Yeah, I mean, and then some people say that's like racist, right? Because they're, yeah. they're like, wait, I'm a person. I'm not exotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting one to uh, mention and to think about. There seems to be this tension between like when we choose a partner, are we looking for different genetics or are we looking to, for similar genetics to our own all right well we got to move on because the next story is like way funnier and more interesting <laughs> uh okay brian let's just preface this by saying you and i have recently been getting into yoga i joined yoga download well, you've been doing yoga for a while yeah i've been doing it for about i've been doing it for about maybe six or seven years but Recently, I, I've been getting more into it. I've joined yogadownload.com, which, uh, you know, I've been traveling for these Bitcoin conferences. I've been on the road. And it's this website where you can go to this site and download yoga videos and right. pretty much do them anywhere or you can stream them. And it's great. Like they have excellent classes there. I really recommend them if you are looking for something like that. Um, but <laughs> 
one thing I don't like about yoga, like the reason I do yoga is because it feels good on my body mm-hmm. and it, it, I feel relaxed. It helps me with s- relieve stress and I get physical benefits out of it. I like being able to know that I can do certain things with my body like poses and it feels good. What I don't like about it often is some of the weird the spirituality woo, woo woo kind of spirituality that goes with it. And there's there's minimal of that in the videos that I watch, but sometimes it does kind of um, seep in. And it's like uh, up to a point I can really agree. And it's like, yeah, this this sounds great. You know, um, being mindful, being conscious of what you do, making space in your life to relax and play and, and do something fun and making space to take care of your body. I, I completely am with them up to that point, you know, and then it gets to some weirder stuff you know (laughs) (laughs) well look you're just not seeing it with your third eye uh yeah that's kind of what i mean i mean (laughs) like the energy crawling up your spine i'm not so into that i mean you know it's just i have a certain tolerance or a certain threshold that i want to go up to and i'm not really willing to step over that point and and that's just my personal thing please don't send me hate mail about that that's just kind of where i'm at uh with my yoga practice and stuff but there is a a guru a literal like yoga guru in india or he's not a yoga guru i'm sorry he's a hindu spiritual guru and apparently it sounds a lot like that this guy is almost like a christian pastor pastor would be in the u.s you know like it's almost analogous to the way that a christian religious leader would might be treated in the u.s he has a flock yeah, he's got his own sect of he's got a religious sect basically and they own a lot of property and they are worth a lot of money. And they've got, you know, millions of dollars. They've you know, he's got an estate worth 100 million dollars estimated. And apparently he was and he's one of the wealthiest um spiritual leaders in India. And apparently he was meditating and he had a heart attack in January. And right now when we're recording this, it's almost June. It is about to be June in about six minutes. Uh, (laughs) So it's been six months and he died six months ago while he was meditating of a heart attack. And his followers are claiming that he's not actually dead, that he is just in a very deep state of meditation. And eventually he's going to return to his body. Whoa, wait, Riga should have set in by now. Rigor mortis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe it has, but they took his body and they actually put it in the freezer. Oh, so it's not going to set Because in. they're preserving it for when he comes back to it. And now I don't believe this for a minute that they actually think that he's just in a deep state of meditation. Maybe, perhaps they do, but you'd have to be pretty disconnected from reality to actually believe that. I think this is about his money. Because what, what the followers want is to keep control of his money and his property, but his wife and his daughter, they want to receive you know, his estate. And so they want him to be recognized as dead legally, but he's not. And so a Hindu court has actually been, or sorry, not Hindu court, a a court in India has been asked to rule on whether or not he is dead. Wow. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously he's dead. His body is in the freezer. His blood is not flowing. I mean, isn't that part of yoga? Like the prana, the breath, you know, like life, (laughs) blood. Yeah. Well, I guess this is Hinduism, not Buddhism, because if it was Buddhism, I'd be like, why are they so concerned about worldly possessions? 
It's uh, his own sect, so I'm not sure exactly yeah, what the religion is. And, can change. And by the way, of course, we're going off an article from the Telegraph UK, so I'm sure they've, you know, Embellished anglicized the details yeah. <laughs> a little bit. But <laughs> but regardless, yeah, like this is a actual question, whether this guy is dead or alive. That That is mind-boggling to yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I just thought that was kind of funny and, and wanted to share it. I mean, it, there's not much else to say about it, really. So I think we can move on. Now, this is, this is kind of... Um, infuriating and i have a personal story about it so interesting stuff in utah apparently where there are lots of mormons and a lot of social conservatism here in the u.s there was a high school yearbook and it's also quite hot there you know it can, sure some at least some parts of it can get very warm sure um <laughs> there's been a i guess there was there was a high school and you know kids get pictures taken every year for the high school yearbook or for whatever year they're in. So they have a picture of themselves in the yearbook every year. And some of the girls were wearing sleeveless shirts. Now, pretty commonplace, especially in hot areas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can be quite uncomfortable to sit in a hot, probably not air conditioned building all day in a sticky little desk with a 40 other kids in the same classroom, not opening the windows. I mean, you know, like, of course, they're wearing tank tops and sleeveless shirts to school because they're probably pretty warm. Sure. And so they had these shirts on in their pictures and some administrator or someone went in and photoshopped sleeves into their pictures to cover up their shoulders. Oh, what the hell? Because we can't have shoulders. I mean, like, it's anarchy, right? Like, we can't have shoulders showing or else the boys are going to go nuts. They won't be able to concentrate on their studies, right? Let (laughs) me tell you who's not able to concentrate. Probably some... Pervy principal? Yeah, exactly. Some sicko pedophiles, okay? They can't handle seeing a girl's arm. That's how badly they're... Oh, that's disgusting. It's just so weird. I mean, it's like, why don't we make them wear burkas or something? Like, Yeah, yeah. Go all the way. It's so hard for me to believe that people think that someone else's dress is responsible for them not being able to concentrate or something like that. You know, like it's the girl's responsibility to be modest so that everybody can be can concentrate. She was and, asking for it. She was asking for it. Yeah, with that sleeveless shirt. I mean, <laughs> and most of these photos that I've seen, it's not even like a spaghetti tank or anything like that. It's like it's just a sleeveless shirt. It has like most of their shoulder is covered up except for like the apex of their, you know, where their arm meets their shoulder. Right. And so it's unbelievable that they would Photoshop in sleeves to cover this up as if it was like somehow indecent, as if they're, you know, as if they're nude in these pictures. They're totally not. It's ridiculous. You said you had your own personal story with this, though. What's I do. But I just want to mention that at the same time, at the same school, there's um, in the same yearbook, there's like some boys page where the boys are running around in you know, sleeveless shirts, open boxers showing tattoos out. <laughs> and it's called stud life. Right. So, so the boys like these girls are having sleeves photoshopped into their photos and being told they have to be modest when the boys are running around in their underwear. It makes no freaking sense. <laughs> Stephanie, we don't need feminism. Yeah, I hear stuff like this, and I think we do. (laughs) It's a totally blatant double standard. And okay, so maybe this gets to me particularly because when I was in middle school, okay, I had this principal in middle school who was... Like, she was authoritarian to the core. Okay. That's what I'm she trying to say. She wasn't as cold as, say, a, a dead yogi in a freezer, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. not quite. But she was authoritarian okay. all the way. Like, that's how I can describe her. And <laughs> so... 
one time, it was like the last week of school. I went to school in the Northeast, and so it was, you know, it wasn't very hot most of the year, but there were a couple weeks in June where it was just like, oh, I'm dying here. And they, of course, they didn't have air conditioning. They wouldn't open the windows because that might excite the kids too much. That might distract them from the boring crap that was on the blackboard. So, like, <laughs> we were just sitting there sweltering in these classrooms. And a couple of times I went to school with shirts that had no sleeves, not even tank tops, not, you know, not like little spaghetti straps or anything like that, even not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but just shirts that lacked sleeves. And so she pulls me aside one day and she goes, Stephanie, we need to talk about your shirt. Like, it's not appropriate to wear sleeveless shirts to school uh, because the boys are going to be looking at your shoulders and they're going to be distracted. And it's like it you have to be the responsible one here and you have to wear sleeves. (laughs) And and people will. She said something else like people will respect you more if you have sleeves on your shirts and if you don't show your body like she was acting as though i was walking around in a (laughs) g-string and i i was just like so my mind was blown like i felt ashamed and i had no reason to feel ashamed no 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 i was not doing anything i mean oh (laughs) so that's my experience with school dress codes and at the same time it was also very hypocritical because Again, boys could come to school and they had these basketball shirts, you know, like those were popular. Those shirts like basketball jerseys, they would come to school wearing those and those had no sleeves or they would come in a T-shirt that had the sleeves kind of cut off. You know, maybe it had like a little bit of it stuck out a little bit on the shoulder, you know, like kind of the frayed edges of the sleeves. But it was a sleeveless shirt just like I had on. But yet they didn't get told that they were distracting anybody and they didn't get told that it was their responsibility to make sure other people paid attention in class. I mean, what kind of lunacy is that? You know, I see if you had told me this like last week before we knew about this story, I would have just been like, well, I am so glad we are past that. But oh, I guess not. We're not past that at all. This probably happened to me 15 years ago. But, you know, this is still happening in 2014. Yeah, that, that that's that's mind-boggling to me. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> I don't know what, you know, I don't know what we can do about this. I don't know, like, I guess it's good that it's making the rounds on the internet, but for the people who this is actually happening to, I don't know that the conversation is being moved forward to the point where they can feel comfortable just dressing in a way so that they're not overheating, you know? Yeah, it, it really doesn't make any sense because the, the message supposedly that kids are constantly being told is that you can be anything you want to be as long as you wear sleeves. <laughs> right. You know, it, it doesn't there. There's a real disconnect there. And I, and I feel bad because I think kids are constantly you were as well. And, you know, what you were telling uh, just now, kids are constantly being fed doublespeak. They're constantly being fed contradictions and they oh, know yeah. it and they become confused because kids are so smart. Yes. Or yeah. they just reject everything, which is fine. I mean, if he, if they reject the authority of these hypocritical adults, then that's good as yeah, far as awesome. I'm concerned, because they're embracing the truth. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, as far as the issue of like women's clothing provoking rape or distraction or whatever, like you're really on a slippery slope once you start alleging that it's your fault if the boys are looking at your shoulders and they're distracted and not paying attention to class, you know? Yeah, well, look, you, you got to wear a skirt that goes all the way down. Why don't we just show, wear a burqa? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the people in countries where women wear burqas, I'm pretty sure they don't stop raping women because they're wearing a burqa. I'm very sure of that myself. The attitudes are still there, no matter how much you cover up, and that's what really needs to be changed. All right, this is Sex and Science Hour. There's more coming up. we got listener emails, actually, kind of about this very topic. Stay tuned.
Oh, Brian, we always have so much fun having sex and science hour together on Thursday nights. But can you believe it? This is not the only thing that we do. Yeah, we actually have other shows. Like your podcast, Sovereign Tech. That's a good show. I listen to it every week. Well, I am the producer, but I would listen to it every week, even if I wasn't the producer. <laughs> yeah, well, and people might know you from Let's Talk Bitcoin, might being the operative term. Yep, yep. And in case you don't get enough of me and Brian together on Sex and Science Hour, you can even hear us together on Sunday nights on nationally syndicated radio, hosting Free Talk Live. Wow, we really do a lot of podcasts. Yeah, well, speaking of which, I think we've got another podcast to finish up right now, so we should probably get back to it. But you can subscribe to Sovereign Tech at SOVRYNtech.com, Let's Talk Bitcoin at Let's Talk Bitcoin.com, and Free Talk Live at FreeTalkLive.com. Now back to Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. Blathering Blatherskites. <laughs> right. We've got some listener emails to get to, Brian. I'm very excited about I this. I love the emails. Yeah, I, I love the emails, too. They, they always add a, a cool, interactive kind of flavor to our, our show. So, I said we were going to talk about something similar to the last article that we just covered. And this is a listener email from Terry. He writes in, A friend of mine saw a lingerie ad, and in his opinion, it was insulting towards women. He posted on Facebook that we should boycott the brand. I discussed it with my wife, and lo and behold, she agreed with him. She even became angry with me for not seeing the humiliation. Women are objectified and reduced to a piece of meat in this way. <laughs> I love how he speaks. Like <laughs> English is not his first language. He does a wonderful job, but yes. occasionally there's a phrase that comes out that just strikes me really funny. So, uh, Terry, it's awesome. We love it. Keep it up. <laughs> uh, women are objectified and reduced to a piece of meat this way. A woman is more than her body. And when I am only appreciating her looks, I'm neglecting her character, her personality, and her interests. I really don't understand this. When I appreciate a woman's body, apparently it is insulting. But when I turn my head in disgust and start a boycotting campaign, I am woman-friendly? Isn't it the other way around? Stephanie, you have a lovely voice. Is it okay to say that about you? Or am I just reducing you to your vocal cords without, appreci without appreciating you as a complete human being? Then why is this different from appreciating how a woman looks? In both cases, I take one feature and I appreciate it. What point am I missing here? Of course, there are the feelings that women have. If they look nice, they probably hear a lot about it. I can imagine that they feel reduced to just that, and there is a certain saturation level a person can take, so I try not to be too obvious about my appreciation of her. I don't whistle or yell when I see a beautiful girl. I'm not hitting on her. I usually don't fantasize, <laughs> I usually <laughs> don't fantasize about having usually. sex with her, usually. <laughs> Sometimes I stare, and when she notices me staring, I usually don't look away because I don't do anything that I shouldn't do, in my opinion. I can imagine that it is annoying when a regular guy like me is staring, and she looks the other way and she sees another guy also staring. I can imagine that it is a challenge to cope with this all day. But still, if I am staring and she feels uncomfortable by it, is it my responsibility that she feels like that? My acts and my feelings are my responsibility. Her acts and her feelings are her responsibility. And there is never a one-on-one -on -one relationship between my acts and her feelings. So if my appreciation is being interpreted as demeaning, is that my responsibility because my acting is harmful? Or is it hers because her feelings don't match with what I do to her? Stephanie, you're a woman. Please explain to me why I am an inconsiderate prick. With kind <laughs> regards, Terry. <laughs> so, Terry, thank you very much for your email. I don't think you are an inconsiderate prick. In fact, I think you're 
I, like, I really appreciated how compassionately you described what you think that a woman mu- must be going through if she's walking around trying to get stuff done and there are people staring at her all the time and perhaps not just staring, but making comments and whistling and never really appreciating her as a full person. Uh, I thought that was like really compassionate of him. Did you, Brian? I mean, yeah, I think the fact that he's thinking so deeply about it shows that he's not inconsiderate and, oh, yeah. uh, and that he doesn't consider women a, a piece of meat. Yeah. Very empathetic of Terry. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, when you don't know someone at all, when you see a picture of someone, you don't even know their name. You don't know anything about them. It's pretty hard to appreciate them for as a full person because you don't know them as a full person all you've seen is their image same thing if you see someone just walking down the street and you know nothing about them i mean how else could you possibly view them except based on what you know which you don't have very much information right right so in some ways you can't really help it and you know same if you just hear a voice on the radio and you say oh that's a nice sounding voice you're not really objectifying the person because you don't have any other information to go on what, where I think it gets kind of tricky is that, as Terry noted, there are some instances where if you're a woman, or perhaps this even happens to men too, I'm sure it could actually happen to anybody, um, if you're just kind of going about your daily business and you receive a lot of unwanted attention, and I think unwanted is a big factor, right? Mm-hmm. Because if it's wanted, then then it's wanted and it's welcomed, um, the, the appreciation of your beauty or whatever, then okay, it's wanted, there's no problem. But if it's unwanted, then that's that's a problem <laughs> right right because the person wants to give it but you don't want to receive it and you know i think to a certain extent like terry it sounds like what you're describing is doing everything you can to to avoid making your appreciation unwanted yeah or being uncomfortable yeah like he's not being creepy he's just you know if you see someone attractive he looks at them he doesn't like look away when they catch him staring because He's not trying to hide the fact that he was looking at them. Right. Right. Um, He doesn't whistle or yell. He doesn't even talk to them usually. Yeah. I mean, but this is the thing is that most people and whether a person consciously or unconsciously picks up on this and with women, it seems to be a far worse situation. uh, If you are, you know, walking down the street and you see a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you decide, hey, I'm going to just talk to her. You never met this person before and you just went up and talked to her. Why are you going up and talking to her? Because she's beautiful. Yeah, because you want to talk to her, I suppose. Right. I mean, it's not like well, this you is... you probably don't just want to yeah, talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now, if you were going to a hockey game, okay, and there's a beautiful woman there and you went up to talk to her, you may have the initial auspice of, okay, we share this appreciation of hockey together. Okay. And so my point is, is that if you just out of nowhere talk to somebody, I don't blame someone for feeling like they're being talked to because they're a piece of meat. Now, if you're in a circumstance. Okay, well, sure. But um, I I mean, I got to challenge you a little bit on that, because if somebody just starts to talk to me, I usually don't think much of it. You know, sometimes people talk to me in the grocery store or whatever. It's when I indicate that I don't want to have sex with them or date them and they continue to make those kinds of advances that's when it becomes a real problem well it's one thing to like have someone in a grocery store you know kind of like conversing with you quickly on i mean maybe there's like a degree of small talk or something like that but usually the person just moves on but if they keep on going you know like you said the unwanted business what other reason could they possibly want to be talking to you other than that I mean, they don't well, then, know your personality. Then it's they an indication know- that they don't 
like they don't care about what you want. They don't care right. about your boundaries. And that's kind of a, a scary, threatening thing in a way, because if they have no consideration for what you want, then what would they do? You know, <laughs> would they hurt you? Would they rape you? Would You know, you don't know if it's a stranger and they yeah. and they've demonstrated that they don't have any respect for your boundaries. So that thought can can cross people's minds and they can get freaked out. Uh, so. I mean, I think it sounds like, Terry, you uh, are not really crossing boundaries, but I can see that perhaps, you know, if if people are just walking around getting all kinds of attention that they don't want all day, then, you know, maybe it can get a little aggravating, irritating. And, And Terry, you know, is one person staring at them, but he's just a drop in the bucket. And who do they direct their discontent to? Do they direct it at Terry? He didn't really do it like he's just one person who's adding to the large amount of unwanted right, attention right. They, that they're getting yeah right? they won't direct it at the first or fifth guy they direct it at the 10th or 20th mm-hmm. you know <laughs> so yeah but i mean it's kind of it's hard to direct it at anyone because sure. it wasn't really one person's fault and like and what's the point of having a conversation with a stranger anyway who just looked at you the wrong way or whatever um they're it's not going to change the whole world so kind of what's the point uh so and I liked what Terry said about like, is it my responsibility if someone feels uncomfortable? Like he's pretty much doing everything he can to not be creepy right. and to not like and to, you know, to look at something he finds visually appealing, but not disrupt their day in any way. Uh, and so is it his fault if they get really freaked out and kind of upset and angry that he's looking at them? You know, perhaps there is a little bit of um, responsibility taking needed there for, for the way that someone feels and reacts to being looked at. Well, I mean, there's just like being considerate, you know, and I think this is an area where maybe looking for social cues. I mean, I, I can pick up social cues when I think someone wants to be left alone mm-hmm. and you just look for those. Yeah, I think that's important. Sure. You know, I mean, that that's that's really the antithesis of being creepy is that you can pick up on social cues. Well, yeah, being creepy means you aren't picking up on them, right. or you are, or you are, and, and you're, you're ignoring, ignoring them, them. Yeah. <laughs> because of your own uh, wants and desires. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what creepy is. It's it's unwanted in some way, and that can range from just a little bit over the line to overtly threatening or dangerous. You know. Right. Uh, so, but I I want to go back to what Terry said about like the feelings, and is he responsible for the way that someone feels? I mean, I I definitely think that it's an important and empowering thing to realize that no one can really make us feel a certain way. Our emotions are our own, right? We own our feelings just like we own ourselves. And we, to a certain extent, like we can be certain emotions can be triggered in us by things that other people do, but other people don't control our emotions. Does that make sense? Does that, is that like, it's kind of a subtle distinction, but it can be really empowering to realize that you do own your own feelings and that you can take responsibility for your own feelings. Yeah, you I don't mean, have to feel a certain way if somebody does a certain action to you. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty ancient knowledge, as in like people in Greece wrote about it, uh, like Epictetus, who, you know, saying that, look, you know, they Those were some Epictetus we ate for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, where he essentially said, the person didn't offend you you yourself were offended, you know, because what they did only means something to you. It doesn't necessarily mean something to them. Mm, Yeah, that's true. I mean, you kind of never know what's going on for um, someone else. But, you know, it it can be a challenge if you're 
all day you're walking around and you're having to deal with processing different people staring at you and okay I have to kind of like brush this off and you know I feel creeped out but I have to kind of shrug it off or whatever I have to process this that can be you know a little bit exhausting so I mean but to answer Terry's question I you know I don't think there's anything inappropriate about the way that you're acting. I don't think you're a jerk. And I certainly don't feel objectified by you saying that I have a nice voice. And I think we've been talking about this for a while, so we should probably move on. But thank you, Terry, for your email. I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, the, the subject of objectification definitely comes up a lot when we talk about the Bitcoin community. There's been a lot of talk about oh, yeah. women in Bitcoin. So this is not the end of this discussion. We'll be talking more about it, I'm sure. And there's a lot more to say. So, but we got to move on for now. We did get another, uh, we, we got a fan mail, okay? <laughs> and this is like, I usually probably wouldn't read an email like this because, you know, it's very nice, but it's, There's not like a a whole ton there to talk about, but I just wanted to like mention this person's website because he like, okay, so he says, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. Your show is so entertaining and super informative. If there's any way I can help sex and science, I'll reach more listeners. Please let me know. Cheers. And then he signed it from Adam, creator of the gossip site, The Stinky. (laughs) So I I go to this website and it was pretty funny, I have to say. (laughs) It's like a comedy website and he posts little pictures and people, I guess people write in and like send him material for his blog and then he like responds to it and he's the stinksta he's dr stinksta dr stinksta (laughs) (laughs) and i think he's from boston so that's like very appropriate so i just wanted to like i just wanted to plug that and as far as as far as how can you help sex and science hour that's very kind Uh, if you like our show um like I think word of mouth is a way that people hear about podcasts. So it always, you know, is very nice when people share our show on social media or tweet about it or post on Facebook or whatever. And if you know somebody who you think would like the show, maybe play it for them or send it to them or whatever. And uh, that I think would really help us out, you know, because the more people listen, then the more people we can talk to and have the opportunity to interact with yeah and i can understand where some would see sex and science hour as a is a guilty pleasure especially when we do a lot more of the sex than anything else in the show uh maybe that's not something like you'd want to openly share to grandma but uh you know <laughs> oh please my mom listens to the show <laughs> but yeah i mean like we try to make it a show that anyone can listen to it doesn't mean they have to agree with us on anything like Pretty much every week we get an email that says, oh, I love your show. I don't agree with you on anything. Like pretty much everyone who writes to us says, I don't agree with you on everything. And that's fine. You don't have to agree with us. We're just trying to entertain. We're just having fun. You can have fun with us. (laughs) Yes, please have fun with us. And if you want to, if you want to help us, you know, in, in other ways, like it is very helpful when people shop through our affiliate links on Amazon because we, we're able to, you know, get paid a little bit for doing the show. It's not much, believe me at this point, but every little bit does help and i want to say like this audience speak i don't know if it's because they're on the let's talk bitcoin network primarily or there are a lot of bitcoin people or they're just a lot of people period but i have to say people tip yeah it's nice yeah it's great we we get a couple of tips every episode sometimes it's one millibit sometimes it's two millibits and that's great thank you we really appreciate that it's it's very meaningful to see that there are at least a couple people who listen to the show and think you know, that was worth I got enough value out of that to want to send them a dollar. So right on. <laughs> thank you very much for that. It's really cool and uh, heartening to see people sending us tips. So that's how you can help out the show. Um, tip shop through our links and uh, share it on social media if you just want to be a cheapskate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and our last listener email, actually, um, this is like the emotional payoff, not the bitcoins, not the 
fiat money or whatever. Forget about that for a minute. This is the intellectual, psychological payoff that we get from doing this show. Uh, Our next email relates to that. Um, I titled this, We Converted Another One, which, by the way, I just, I have to brag for a minute. I have converted so many women to bisexuality. I've (laughs) converted... At least, at least dozens. You you had your own podcast before this called Pork Therapy. Yes, Pork and with the Sea. And so many women came on that show and said, and, and came out as totally bisexuals. Totally unsolicited, yep. because I am a bisexual. I don't know if I've ever said that on Sex and Science Hour, but you there you go. The I ladies. just came out. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> and show at sexandsciencehour.com. <laughs> ladies. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... People would come on my show and they would call in and they would say, hey, I realized from listening to your show and listening to you talk about bisexuality that I'm a bisexual, too. And that's great. Like, apparently, I touch them in some way, not physically, but through the radio through I reached out and touched them through the radio to the point where um, they realized something about themselves that was always there, I'm sure. But you know, if I help them get in touch with it, then I feel really special about that. But this email is not about bisexuality. It's about something different uh, that that still tickles us both of us, Brian. Indeed. Uh, So this person says, uh, Hi, Stephanie and Brian wanted to thank you for doing the show. It's great entertainment. I'm an anarchist. So there is always some anarchist material around my house, audio, video, ebooks. But I could never get my wife to be interested in any of it. Last week, I... This is so funny. It sounds like if you take out the anarchism thing, mm-hmm. it could sound like he's talking about some fetish or something. <laughs> like, I'm really into water sports, but I could never get my wife to be interested. <laughs> so he says, continuing on, last week, I pitched the sex and sound... I-, I pitched the sex and science hour. I don't know if he means that he pitched... Like he told his wife to listen to it or if he actually played it, but... He says he pitched the Sex and Science Hour and it was a great success. She has been gobbling up the show in multiple episodes per day and she loves it. Oh, man. You have managed to make... Listen to this. Okay. I just got to draw attention to this line. You have managed to make anarchy sexy in a way that other shows can't. I think many people will have an easier time introducing rational thinking to their social environment thanks to the show, too. She even made her first Bitcoin transaction with some play money I gave her a month ago, a small donation to the show. Oh, that is so... Cool. Mission accomplished. Yes, I think we can call it a night, Brian. We, we've converted another one. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing in about this. This is so cool to read. And welcome. Welcome to the dark side. We have cookies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gluten-free. Uh, <laughs> we have fun. There's a little more to the email. Um, and he actually had a question about this. By the way, speaking of tipping, on the Let's Talk Bitcoin website in, sex and, in the Sex and Science Hour section, there's a list of all the episodes, but under each one is a link that says tip this post. It sounded really, it sounds really ambiguous. Where does the Bitcoin go? Directly to you, to the Let's Talk Bitcoin network? Do you get 100% of the tip, etc.? And um, to answer that question, that tip address, uh, if, you, if it says tip this post, that does go directly to us. 100% of it goes to us. So I think that's good feedback. Maybe we should tell that to uh, Adam B. Levine, who is the webmaster of the Let's Talk Bitcoin network and the Let's Talk Bitcoin website. But yeah, if you send a tip through the blog post on letstalkbitcoin.com, it does go directly to us. So finally, he closes off his email saying, one more thing, I love the intro and outro music. It's basically my favorite as part of the show. The sound hypnotizes me into a wild dancing frenzy with a wide grin on my face. <laughs> oh man, me too. Yeah, it does the same to us, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> That's why we keep the music around. You know, people either love it or they hate it, but we love it. And he loves it. So 
you know, he's good in our book. Yeah, it's going to stick. (laughs) So that email was from Miro. Miro, thank you so much for writing in. That email just made our day. And we hope, you know, now that we've converted people to anarchism and uh, we've made anarchy sexy, I think we can just call it a night. So we're going to sign off now. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Sex and Science Hour. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week.